what's going on guys welcome to or welcome back to consuming crime happy friday uh, shit. i hope you guys all had a great thanksgiving i definitely did i ate a lot i mean as we all did my sister made like a million dishes so shout out to her for making delicious food and of course, I am thankful for all of you, all of my supporters, all of my crime consumers for listening, for liking, for commenting. Literally every little thing means so much to me. Before we get started, I want to quickly talk about the Facebook page. Go ahead and give it a like. I think we're at over 300, trying to hit 400. And also, if you want to become a supporter of the podcast, which means you can make a small donation, you don't get anything out of it, but it is means the world so go ahead and go to consumingcrime.com hit the become a supporter button but if you do want to support the podcast and you want a bonus go to consumingcrime.com and hit become a patron here it's going to take you to the patreon and forgive me because i just relaunched it so i have to go to the patreon to see what you get just make sure you don't type in google patreon consuming crime because you're just going to get a bunch of links to consuming the castration which i'm not even sure if i can say <laughs> um but i said it so we'll see if it sticks i just realized i can literally go to consumingcrime.com like i told you guys and hit the become a patron button let me do that it's probably easier <laughs> i'm over here going around and around trying to figure out how to find it okay so at the five dollar level you can become a certified crime consumer and here you can gain access to 10 of the podcast's older episodes as well as bonus content every month at the $10 level, you can become a devoted crime consumer and gain access to the bonus episodes, plus all of the regular feed, but ad-free. One more thing before we get started, be sure to check out today's sponsor, Audible. Audible is a great and like probably the number one audiobook website. I personally listen to Audible I because I don't like to read books. I like the the aesthetic of physically owning a book but i'll usually buy a book and then listen to it on audible i know it sounds like weird but that's what i do and most recently i've been listening to the fifth agreement by don miguel ruiz which is a continuation of the four agreements highly recommend you check it out go ahead and head over to audibletrial.com consuming crime and get your first 30 days free on us again that is audibletrial.com also if you've noticed you guys can now see me Spotify added a new feature for me or for consuming crime that I can upload video. Okay, so today we are continuing to cover Homicide Hunter with Lieutenant Joe Kenda. Today's episode is called Slaughterhouse 6. It is the same name that it has on Discovery Plus. Just to remind everybody, I don't think I've ever mentioned it, but Joe Kenda has solved over 400 homicides. Over 400. I think he had like a 98% success rate in a case which is absolutely nuts and i'm gonna say it right now if i ever go missing something happens to me i want him on the case i know he's retired but sir come out of retirement for me please because i talk about you a lot <laughs> anyway this case starts off on december 21st 1991 at 11 30 p.m remember we are in colorado springs it is a normal Saturday night in downtown Colorado Springs. The bars are packed, streets are busy, and this was clearly before COVID times. There was no social distancing. It was just crowded. Patrol officer Mark Compt is preparing himself for a very busy night. Maybe keep an eye out for disorderly conduct and things like that. So these nights are usually just full of like breaking up fights at the worst and just continuing to do that throughout the night. Nothing super crazy. Normally on nights like these, he would break up about three or four fights. 
Nonetheless, a heavy police presence is required due to all the patrons, all the people, all the customers. However, at some point in the night, Officer Comp received a phone call for a disturbance on Nevada Avenue. He was coming from Cooper and Fifth, which was just a few blocks away. He is also informed before arriving that there is an ambulance on scene loading up one of the people involved in a fight. Okay, so now he's just thinking it's a normal fight, not thinking anything of it. The man had been bleeding from the nose and the mouth, and the EMT let officers know that he was in dire distress. Compt arrives on the scene and is informed there are two suspects. They were seen running down an alleyway. Both were wearing blue shirts and blue jeans. Compt goes after the two in his patrol car. So they, I wonder if they just started running or they, hmm, interesting. Well, he sees them running and he goes after them. They were heading towards a building and he cuts them off with his car. He gets them both on the ground and starts patting them down. Good for him. He got both of them. One thing that I noted is that they were wearing blue shirts and blue jeans. So I'm like, is this gang related? Oh, also, I'm going to call it the elephant in the room if you're watching. I don't have thumbs. Like, okay, I have thumbs, but like my nails, I don't have them. A, they keep this one keeps falling off. And B, it helps when I take my son out of the car seat because the little red button. Anyway. That's besides the point. The two guys were not carrying any weapons, but had blood on their clothing, and they were running, so obviously they're suspicious of something. He puts them into the car and takes them back to the scene. His intention was to leave them in another patrol car so he could help officers with anything else they might need. He then receives an update from an officer that had followed the injured man to the hospital. This man had passed away from his injuries. So now this case turned into a homicide case, and they give Lieutenant Joe Kenda of the homicide department a call. He had been driving from home after another long night at work. He is informed that there had been a fight in the street that resulted in a death. There is no clear or known motive at this time. When he arrives on the scene, Officer Comp tells him he may have just found a third suspect. This suspect had made his way to the crime scene to look around. It, like, is he really a suspect? Because he came back to look around, unless he was just doing that to not look suspicious? Hmm. This is when Officer Comp noticed blood on the guy's clothing. He walks over to him and the guy is acting surprised. Like, why are you talking to me? Because you're there. Because you're there, fool. <laughs> Sir, there's blood on your clothes and you're at the scene. You're going to be questioned if you're not a law enforcement officer. Officer Comp does not mention the blood, but he does put him in the back of a patrol car. Kenda goes to take a closer look at the scene at this time. There is a large blood stain where the victim had been laying. He had died of... Well, we don't know what he died of, but this is like, these are all of his injuries. He had blood force trauma, multiple blows to the outside of the skull, laceration of the liver, broken ribs, and a punctured lug. If the head injury didn't kill him, the internal bleeding would have. This is fucked. Like, I, I mean, I don't know, man. That's just, that's a lot. That's overkill, to be honest. Officers first think he could have gotten beat up as a result of self-defense. That sentence doesn't make any sense. And then one of the guys being interviewed says, is there anything he did that caused any of this to happen to him? Okay, let's not, here's what we don't do over here at Consuming Crime, okay? We don't victim blame. That's not something that we do. It's not something anybody should do. The guy's dead. Like, days of saying things bad about him are like long gone. The narrator is suggesting that this was more than just a run between two strangers. At this point, I'm not even thinking that it's two strangers. Like, I feel like in order to really, really go in on somebody like that, like, it has to be... Hmm. Whoever did it is, like, evil, obviously. Kenda needs to start talking with eyewitnesses. Officers lead him over to a guy sitting on the sidewalk. 
He had some blood on him too and appeared to be a little bit scratched up. This man had been with the victim who was attacked. Okay, so he was like a buddy of his. He was 23 years old and his name was Joseph Reeves. He identified the victim as Lane Schmidtke. They were really close friends. He's a likable guy and he was married with twin daughters. It's way more gut-wrenching when somebody has to tell children that their parents dead. I don't know. I'm not crying. I'm just... I could tell that there's like eyeliner under my eyes, so I'm getting it out. These details only cause more confusion. Who could do something so violent to someone who seems to just want to mind his business and take care of his family? Potentially somebody that didn't know he had a family? I would hope that the likelihood of him getting hurt would go down because people know he has a family. Joseph tells Kenda, we were just walking around downtown looking for a place to grab a bite and as we got closer to the corner of Pikes Peak and Nevada Avenue, a crowd of young people started harassing us. They start saying things like, this is our sidewalk, our corner, back to the gang affiliation comment I made earlier. We tried to ignore them and just kept walking, but before we knew it, the threats turned into shoving, which then turned into a full-on brawl. It seemed like punches were coming from every direction. Joseph manages to get out of the large group, but he realizes Lane was still being attacked. He can see that his friend was no longer making any defensive moves. He is able to hear and see sirens, and this is when everyone started running off. Kenda starts to wonder, were the suspects settling an old score? It doesn't sound like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I mean, the idea sounds like plausible that, but it doesn't. Like, why would they want to beat somebody up to that point if they didn't know them prior to that moment? What do you guys think? I want to know if you guys believe this story that Joseph is telling. When asked about the identities of the suspect, Joseph can't even remember how many of them there were, let alone who they were. He tells Lieutenant Kenda one more thing, and that makes the situation go from bad to worse. We're both in the Army, 1st of the 12th Infantry, 4th Infantry Division, Fort Carson. I don't know what any of that means, but I do know that Fort Carson is by Colorado Springs. Now the question becomes, was he assaulted because of his military status? Uh, would somebody want to beat somebody up because they're in the military? I don't. I don't know about other people. Um interesting i also i also want to know what happens to jurisdiction if something happens to a military person i guess it depends on where the crime occurred right like i know if something happens in the army then the military government has to take care of it like the military court i should say they finish questioning joseph and move on to a new eyewitness 20 year old dan davis he has long blonde hair kenda describes him as a surfer dude kind of kid so like a brad or a chad do brads and chad surf if your name is Brad or Chad, do you surf? For real, answer that question if that's your name. <laughs> Dan is contradicting the story Joseph gave police. So now, who do you believe? The 23-year-old army dude or the 20-year-old Chad? He says, the group of people were not as aggressive as he's making them out to be. They were a couple of teenagers that went to a local high school. Most of the kids had good backgrounds, and it would be a surprise if they did something like this. Dan says it wasn't a territory type of fight. None of that. This area was known as the Ave. It was where teenagers went to hang out. There's boys, girls, loud music. At around 11.30, that's when a fight broke out. So he stopped it the only way he knew how. So this is where Dan is claiming to be the hero of the situation. And so anyway, the fight breaks out 
and he yelled the word cops there are cops here and this is the only way he knew to get everybody to disperse but didn't joseph testify or not testify but didn't he claim that he heard and saw sirens and then everybody ran so you i just feel like dan saying he said cops when there were cops and is trying to now make it look like a oh look at me like i'm the hero i'm not saying he did anything but i just feel like he's using it i love that i made a note to myself be nice he could be a good person he also was not able to identify anyone in the fight though so they let him go the forensics team starts taking samples of blood not only from the large pool of blood but from some blood that had gotten on the sidewalk they wanted to see if anyone else's blood had landed anywhere kenda heads over to the station so he can start talking to the three men that they have in custody he starts with the suspect that didn't run the one that stood at the scene 16 year old sean stansel he has no criminal background and he was a student at a local high school and an athlete his father is in the army and he's more likely to want to be a soldier not hurt and kill one he was hanging out with his girlfriend when the fight broke out he jumped in and tried to break up all the fighting and this would account for all the blood that's on his clothes he is pretty sure that the blood belonged to one of the attackers he is also adamant that he did not attack anyone nor does he know who is involved okay i can buy that you didn't attack anybody but i'm not buying that you don't know who's involved you're hanging out you literally just said you were hanging out with people at the av who were you hanging out with i mean he could also just be scared because he goes to school with these kids but I don't know. They take Sean's clothes and deliver it to the lab for analysis. Lieutenant Kenda turns his attention over to Kevin Moore and Anthony Phoenix. Both of them are 18 years old and the blood on their clothes indicates that they could be the main attackers. Anthony has never been in trouble with the law before. So how, how would they even know? Isn't he 18? Or I guess if it's the same county, maybe they can see. So how did he end up involved? He is claiming he got involved in the fight by accident. By a You don't swing your arms. I'm not doing this on accident. Does it look like an accident? Oh my gosh. He saw the fight happening and as he got closer, someone hit him in the back. So he started swinging wildly without any aim. Swinging wildly is not accidental, Anthony. And he was just trying to, like, according to him, somebody hit him and he was just trying to, like, swing and hit whoever he hit dude come on he claims he did not hit anyone that was not standing up so it couldn't have been the victim lane since he was laying on the ground really early on real if he was laying on the ground really early on leave him alone kenda is not convinced of this story he brings in anthony's teammate kevin moore also if somebody hits you i feel like you know who hit you you know what i mean like you're not just gonna channel your anger at whoever's in front of you i mean Ugh, maybe I'm wrong. I've never been in like a fight, but like I feel like if somebody hit me I would want to hit them not like somebody in front of me. It's weird. It just sounds really weird I say we take everything these kids are saying with a grain of salt because I think they're all lying and we still have no idea What the hell happened? But for sake of giving all the information, let's go over what they say Lieutenant Joe Kenda is also not convinced of this guy's story So he goes over and talks to Anthony's teammate Kevin Moore Kevin is a linebacker of the high school football team. He has the stature of this position as well. Kevin is saying he had one too many drinks, sorry you're underage, and ended up falling asleep in the back of a friend's car. He woke up to someone yelling that Anthony was fighting to get out of the car and stop it. He gets in the middle of the brawl, grabs Anthony, drags him out of it, and this is how he explains away the blood on his clothes. Of all the stories that I've heard, I feel like Kevin sounds the most 
I mean, it sounds plausible. The only part that I'm questioning is you're sleeping. In oh, he said he had too much to drink. That's low-key something I would do. Is like get too drunk early in the party and then fall asleep. Yeah. Okay, Kevin. For the record, I do not drink. If I drank, I'd just be asleep all the time. I'm just getting memories from when I was 18. Not that I drank at 18. <laughs> and if I did, I definitely wouldn't say it on this podcast. So someone yelled, cops are coming, and that is when they ran. This is still according to Kevin. Oh, Kevin was one of the kids that ran from Officer Compt. Here's, you know, here's what I will say when when you're saying like, oh, why would he run if he wasn't suspicious of anything? As a kid, I feel like if you know that there's a fight and you could be suspected of it, you would run. So maybe he still didn't. I'm just going to stand that I think Kevin's story is the most believable. But Lieutenant Jokenda is not buying either of their stories. They are both claiming they got involved by accident. Okay, but like Anthony's reason is just stupid and that they didn't lay a finger on Lane. To dig further into what could be the truth, Kenda collects both of their clothing and sends it into the lab for testing. If it comes back, for example, there is blood on the shoes that belong to the victim, then it's pretty obvious where the feet were while the victim was on the ground. With the amount of blood sent into the labs for testing, it could take weeks to months to figure out what happened. That is insane. He had three high schoolers in custody, and the media was applying pressure to solve the murder on the app mystery. The station receives a phone call, and this only adds more fuel to the fire. A woman is on the line, and she tells police that her daughter may know more about this case, but she's afraid to come forward. Please speak up. Please make your kids speak up. Oh my gosh. Unless, well maybe unless, I don't know, unless they could really put them in danger, but these are high schoolers. Like, come on. What are they going to do? Someone had called their house and told her daughter that she better not tell the cops what she saw or she would be next. Lieutenant Kenda goes to question the woman's daughter, Tanya Starr. She was a student at the same high school, which is consistent with everyone that was there. She isn't concerned about what she saw because this wasn't much more than what everybody else was saying. She wanted to hone in on what she heard. After the fight was over, she got a ride home with a boy from school. That boy tells her, So we killed that dude. So what? This boy's name, so what? This boy's name was Dominic Perea. He is a 17-year-old senior and a friend of Anthony, Kevin, and Sean. Dominic does have a history of violence and he was known to getting into fights. So what kind of fight did you start, Dominic? He told her, if you tell anyone, I will kill you. Okay, your name is Dominic, sir. You're not gonna do shit. I knew a couple Dominics in my middle school that I used to go to middle school with. And um, no tea, no shade, because they're very nice kids, but I don't see them killing somebody. Lieutenant Kenda notes that when a threat has been made to a witness, it is important to move as quickly as possible to avoid that witness getting hurt. Thank you. Thank you. Not a lot of cops do this. Thank you. The best way to get evidence against Dominic was to collect his clothing. Okay. Several people at the incident accounted for what he had been wearing so that officers can obtain a specific search warrant for this outfit. Hold on a minute. People at the scene could tell you what one specific person was wearing, but not the specific people that were there? What are you more likely to remember? Who's at a party or what one random person was wearing at that party? Okay, these kids are full of shit. Every time, every single time I go off on like a tangent over here, over there, up here, down here, I lose where I'm at and then I have to sit here and go like this and then edit out the part that I'm like, okay, and I'm, and I'm going on another tangent. Where the hell was I? Hold on. <laughs> okay, so people say what he was wearing that night. So the officers can go obtain a specific search warrant for this outfit because I don't know if you guys know this, but 
I'm gonna mark my spot. When you ask for a search warrant, you have to specify the items you wanna search for. You can't just say, we wanna search this house because of this. You have to say the items that you are looking for. Officers go speak to him and his mother. He denies any and all involvement in the fight. He said he was there, but he never saw a fight. You never saw a fight. Okay, this dude definitely knows something. Officers tell him, if you weren't involved, then you wouldn't mind us taking the clothes you were wearing that night. The mother tells them, oh, I washed them. You washed them? You washed them? You saw your child brought home clothes with blood on it, and you washed them? What the fuck is wrong with you? As a mother, okay, my child is only 10 months. I cannot imagine him doing anything like this, but if he did, I'm taking his ass to the police station. I don't play that. I think his dad would do the same thing. So, no. If you're a parent, only if you're a parent, please let me know what you would do in this situation. Would you wash the clothes or would you be like, excuse me, why is there blood on your clothes? Come with me. You know what I mean? What, like, oh my gosh, here come all the bad mother comments. When asked why, because that is obviously our question, she said, oh, like, I'm just, I'm such a neat freak, and the routine with my son was that he gets home, he leaves his clothes on the floor, and I pick them up and wash them. What? He leaves his clothes on the floor, and you just pick them up? You better tell his ass off. No. You are, first of all, you're a liar. Second of all, you are wasting a lot of water if every single time you pick up his clothes off the floor. Third of all, make him pick up his own clothes. He's grown. He's grown. They do notice one piece of clothing that hadn't been washed. His shoes. Thank God. His shoes had some blood on them. Wow, you missed a spot, mom. They take his shoes for evidentiary purposes. Thank God, I'm so happy that they found something because this is really going to piss me off. They terminate the interview and take Dominic into custody, which I wonder if they can even do because isn't he only 17? We all know his mom wouldn't have allowed it. Lieutenant Kenda starts picking his brain about the boys he has in custody. Were some innocent? Were they all involved? Why were they all there? Was it really just to hang out and drink a little? I believe that. I do think everybody was just there to hang out and drink a little. As Lieutenant Kenda and his officers work on piecing together this case, another eyewitness comes forward to bring everything into focus. There's a news headline in the documentary, and it's reading, Slay suspect called killing fun, teen says. So they're killing for fun? Oh my gosh, I'm like even more confused now. There are two things kids value, according to Lieutenant Kenda. The code of silence and loyalty. He believes when keeping that in mind, it may be easier to question students that may have knowledge of the event without having any friends involved in it. Like they're more likely to say something because they have no loyalty to anybody involved in the group. Lieutenant Kenda calls faculty staff members and tells them, keep your ears and eyes open. This is when they receive the phone call I mentioned earlier. It's the principal. She informs Lieutenant Kenda that she has a group of female students that witnessed the night in question. Him and his team head over to the school and take the group into a classroom so they can start the questioning process. Oh, so this is this is what they're saying happened. It started with two students and two guys from the military. They started going back and forth. Actually, it was two different guys from the military, not Joseph and Lane, Lane being the victim. These guys had pulled over in their car to try to talk to the girls in that group. This is when the guys from school got involved, telling them to leave the girls alone, get out of here. They go back and forth a little bit. These douchey military dudes are trying to pick up these like underage girls, which is so creepy and gross. And then the guys are standing up for the girls, saying like, fuck off, these are our girls, whatever. So it was like territorial kind of. 
Anyway, it just, it escalates a little bit and they start saying like, I'm gonna kick your ass. Like, no, I'll kick your ass. Just really like childish, stupid alpha beta male crap. Those guys drive off and that was the end of that. But the adrenaline was still pumping in the teenagers to the point where if anyone walked near them that resembled military, they would be done. This is when Joseph and Lane started walking in their direction. This is like, we all know where this is going. The girls could see the military haircuts. One of them goes over and tells them, you might want to cross the street. My friends are being very violent. The guys did not take this too serious, and they made an attempt to just walk through the crowd. Come on, guys. I know you have pride. I know you got ego, but like, just my victim blaming. Sorry, I'm going to stop. This is when they started saying things like, this is our corner. What are you doing here? Just like Joseph lane's friend had accounted for earlier then one individual struck lane starting the whole thing the girls were able to identify the main attackers one of them catches lieutenant kenda off guard you guys this is crazy the first person to throw a punch was anthony phoenix which is the same kid that claimed somebody punched him in the back and he just started randomly throwing hands like the, the moron that accidentally punched somebody fucking anthony i don't know why that surprised lieutenant kenda honestly this next one, hold on, I don't, think I'm, I don't think I'm at the shocking part yet, sorry, forgive me. The girl said that Lane went down after that first punch, so why keep going? Why keep going? Because they're in the military? You can't stereotype. You can't do that, especially when it involves somebody's life, come on. That's when three of his friends jumped in. Kevin Moore, Dominic Perea, and Sean Stansel. Okay, I'll remind you guys who each of these kids was, like their stories. Kevin was the one that said he fell asleep in the back of someone's car, so that wasn't true. Dominic was the one that didn't even know there was a fight. Okay, Dominic. And Sean was the one that said he tried to break up the fight, the one that was hanging out with his girlfriend at the time. Sean's father is also in the military, so they would be very disappointed. The girls said they just kept punching and kicking him, and they would not stop. The good news is all four of them are already in custody, but the girls add more to their story. Before the assault was over, two more of Anthony's friends joined in, Robert Dean and Dan Davis. This is the shocking part, because this is the first mention of Robert. We haven't heard that name yet, but Dan was the kid that claimed to be a hero earlier. Remember Brad Chad, the surfer dude? Yeah, not a hero, so no, I will not be nice to him, past Julie. I won't. No. Up until now, officers weren't even thinking to look at Dan. They pay him a visit at his residence and immediately start grilling him. In the dramatization, Kenda says, Remember us? We're the guys you lied to. I hope you really said that. After a little bit of persistence, Dan finally says, Okay, I kicked him, like maybe once. <laughs> Dan, listen. I know your life's already cursed because your name is Dan. No offense to all my Dan listeners. I love you. <laughs> I keep roasting people based on their names, and I have no idea if my listeners have these names. I'm sorry. I hope you know it's not the name. I'm just trying to find something to talk crap about. Besides the obvious, just being a piece of shit, you know? He is essentially trying to say, I may have assaulted him, but I wasn't the one that delivered the fatal blow. How tone deaf do you have to be to say, oh, well, yeah, like I was like kicking on him and punching on him, but like I wasn't the one. It was my specific fist or punch was not what killed him does it matter don't you think it would have been better and more productive of your time 
and better for this man's life if you were one that just said, hey, everybody stop. But I forget, when you're in high school, everybody wants to be cool. Everybody wants to fit in. You guys, I, 24 years old, I cannot tell you anything that I thought was important in high school that I still think is important now. Besides the fact that I'm a mother, besides, obvious, I mean, that's the main thing, okay? But besides that, way more important things. High school is a blink, okay? If you're young and listening to me, please take what everybody says about you, the popular kids, the cliques, with a grain of salt. And I know it's such a, like, such an adult thing to say, like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, what do you know? You don't understand. Yeah. We do. High school is the same, whether you're in the 70s, the 60s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2010s. Like, it's the same. It's clicky. It's stupid. And it's pointless. That's what makes it the same. Except now there's TikTok. I love TikTok, by the way. Anyway, I just went on a whole tangent. Oh my gosh. It's just frustrating that, like, a man's life was cost because somebody wanted to be cool. Essentially. What's better than being cool is just being a good person. There's plenty of cool people in this life. Not a lot of good, morally correct thinking people. I don't know if I said that right. Sorry. Obviously not any more grammatically correct people because I don't know what I'm freaking saying anymore. I'm just upset. They place Dan under arrest and take him into custody. Now they needed to find Robert, who is only 14 years old, you guys. But he is 6 feet tall and 160 pounds. Holy hell, 6 feet? But 160 pounds is not very heavy because I'm 145 and I'm like 5'4 or something. When talking to Robert, he denies everything. Well, he's a kid. He's scared. He still shouldn't have done it. It's not okay. But we're just saying. But again, the same piece of evidence is found with him. There's blood on his shoes. Come on, guys. The shoes. Get it together. They take the shoes into evidence and then take him into custody. On April 22nd, 1992, seven months after the attack. Are they still in jail, I wonder? Lieutenant Kenda receives blood work from the lab. The results are all mixed. The shoes worn by Sean Stansel have the victim's blood on them. Kevin Moore's shoes also have the victim's blood on them. Remember though, Anthony was the main attacker, or the one that started it. The rest of the clothing, however, all of the blood found was classified as unknown. What does that even mean? It's frustrating, but they still have eyewitness testimony on all six suspects. Three of them were juveniles and three were adults at this time. But all of them were testified as adults. Each of them were found guilty from crimes ranging from manslaughter to first-degree assault. Dan Davis and Robert Dean are sentenced to several years probation. Robert violated his probation and did three years in the Department of Corrections. Kevin Moore is sentenced to 12 years in prison. Sean Stansel and Dominic Preya get 16 years each, and Anthony Phoenix, the one who started it all, received the steepest sentence. He was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 24 years in prison. <sighs> I never know how to end things man just i mean i feel like it all roots of like oh i have to have like this dude's back like i have to have his back like it's like a a stupid popularity contest and trying to fit in fit in with what because no matter how you fit in in high school once you go to college and if you don't go to college you're not gonna fit in in the real world the real world is not a place for you to fit in and why would you want to fit in when you can stand out Come on. Real question. Real question for my young listeners. Why would you want to fit in when you can stand out? On that day, if one of them decided, I don't want to be a part of this mess, I'm leaving. More respect to that person. Have your own morals. Have your own values. Don't go this way or that way because somebody says so. This person goes left. You don't have to go left if you don't agree with it. Be your own person. 
Being your own person is always more respectable. Always. Let me take a breath. Hold on. Rest in peace to Lane Schmidtke. I am sorry to his wife and his two daughters. Two little girls lost their father and a woman lost a husband because kids were being kids. Fucking ridiculous. Anyway, thank you for consuming crime with me today. I'm not going to give any at the end announcements because I definitely don't listen to podcasts after they're done. So you will hear me next week. Thanks for consuming crime with me and yeah, goodbye.